0: off your first year the following program is sponsored by truth incorporated today on know the truth philip de is explaining the importance of being a cheerful generous giver
1: you realize that there's a connection between coins and coinania finances and fellowship we're one big family now we're not all going to go back to the same house we don't all live in the same zip code but we're one big family And we're connected to a worldwide family of saints and we have to have a sense of belonging to that family. We'll give to that family, both locally and globally.
0: Welcome to Know the Truth with author, pastor, and Bible teacher, Philip DeCourcy. I'm your host, Wayne Shepherd. Today we're learning that our net worth is not based on what's in our bank account, but what's in our hearts. With Jesus at the center of our lives, His priorities become our priorities, and we develop a generous spirit that allows us to give beyond our means. Philip is opening to 2 Corinthians to present a full explanation. He's delivering the conclusion of a liberating message titled, Happy to Give. Here's Philip DeCourcy.
1: Well, let's take our Bibles and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9. So we're going to answer the question, why? Why should you give to the Lord's work, to people in need, to gospel endeavor? I've got three reasons that jump out in the text. Let's start to work our way through them. Number one, the praise of God. God gets glory when you give. God gets glory when you give. Whatever we do, we do it to the glory of God. 1 Corinthians 10.31 Whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, remember to reflect God's character. And you're going to see this in the text. Let's look at chapter 8 first of all. Look at verse 19 and the reference to the glory of God. Paul's speaking about the administration of this gift and how it ought to be handled. He wants certain guys to do it so there's integrity in the process of taking this collection to Jerusalem. But I want you to notice in verse 19 he says that they ought to do this to the glory of the Lord himself. Scroll down to verses 11 and 12 of chapter 9. He anticipates the gift going to Jerusalem. And here's the fallout of it. While you are enriched in everything for all liberality, which causes thanksgiving through us to God... For the administration of this service not only supplies the needs of the saints, but also is abounding through many thanksgivings to God, while through the proof of this ministry they glorify God for the obedience of your confession of the gospel of Christ. What's the point? When that money gets to Jerusalem, people will be relieved, mothers will be made happy, children will be fed, families will be helped, there'll be a smile on their face, there'll be a sense that they can get through the famine, and they'll start giving thanks to God. For the generosity of the Corinthians, God's going to get the glory. You want a motive to give? If you give generously and give well, God gets glory. Number two, the poverty of God. Here's another motive. Here's another reason, as Paul will tell the Corinthians, to excel in giving. Here's the reason, the impoverishment of Christ through the incarnation and his humiliation on the cross. Look at verse nine, I've quoted it, but it's a wonderful verse. He's prompting them to give to the church in Jerusalem. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. For though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. He'll pick that theme up in chapter nine, verse 15. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift best gift I was ever given, Jesus Christ, my salvation. So here we have this idea. Having talked about the glory of God as one motive, Paul interestingly gives us another motive when God in Jesus Christ sets aside his glory, humbles himself, adds humanity to his deity, Comes in the likeness of a man in the form of a servant. Becomes obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Philippians 2, verses 5 through 11. Though he was rich, rich in glory, adored by angels, he became poor. He had very little in terms of earthly belongings. In fact, the Bible says of our Lord Jesus that the birds of the air have nests and the foxes have holes. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Though he was rich but for our sake he became poor. That we in our poverty, what does that mean? That means spiritual poverty. If we're going to get saved, we have nothing to offer to God. Even our righteousness, our good works, our good deeds, they're filthy rags. You have nothing to offer God. If you're going to get saved, God's going to have to do it. And you know what? He did it. In the coming of Jesus Christ, who humbled himself was made poor, that we in our poverty might be made rich. Forgiveness, the gift of the Holy Spirit, the hope of heaven. Now, when you understand all of that, what you have, it's a glorious thing. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus. And when you know that, it makes a difference when you walk by a box on the Lord's day and you write a check and you swipe your card for the Lord's work. Here's the point Given that, Paul's argument is this. Primarily, when it comes to giving, we give in the light of divine love, not human need. Not discounting human need, Paul will go on to talk about the need of the saints and the need to identify with them. But the point is this: what drives us to give? It's not human need. It's not the emaciated face of a child or the dirty look of the poor, or the need to support a missionary and bring the gospel into fresh territory. That's not motivates us. It's the cross. It's the grace of our Lord Jesus that motivates us. Here's the third reason, not only the praise of God, not only the poverty of God in Christ but the people of God. Look at verse 4. Paul says that the Macedonians, he's using here as an example, they implored us. They were begging to give. Oh, may their tribe increase. Where are those Christians today? Begging to give. For I bear them witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing, verse 4, imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift for the saints in Jerusalem. Notice this and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints fellowship and finances Paul ties a knot between them here fellowship and finances they finance the church in Jerusalem out of a sense of fellowship koinonia sharing oneness partnership you realize that there's a connection between coins and koinonia finances and fellowship we're one big family now, we're not all going to go back to the same house. We don't all live in the same zip code, but we're one big family. And we're connected to a worldwide family of saints in Ireland and England and Scotland and Germany, Mexico and all over the world. And we have to have a sense of belonging to that family. and We have a sense of belonging to that family. We'll give to that family, both locally and globally. See, that paycheck belongs to someone other than me. Although it's in my hand because I belong to something bigger than me. It's called a family. And Paul's saying you need to have the same thought when you grab that paycheck. You've got a spiritual family as well as a physical family. And the saints in Macedonia believe that they should give to the family over in Jerusalem out of the fellowship of the saints. See, you and I need to grasp the, You'll get the same idea in Philippians 4, 15 to 18 where Paul acknowledges the sharing or the partnership or the fellowship of the Philippines in giving to him once and again to meet his necessity. You go to Acts two forty four to 45 and Acts 4, 32 to 37, and you'll see how the family of God in Jerusalem took care of itself. Those who had give to those who didn't have. And by the way, it wasn't an early form of communism. It was never forced. It was always voluntary and spontaneous. But it was driven by an obligation to take care of the family. I like the story of the guy who looked up at the usher who had the collection plate in his hand. He was going through the church, and the guy looked at him and said, Well, I suppose I could give $5 and not feel it. To which the usher replied, Why don't you give $50 and feel it? And we ought to feel it. There ought to be feeling to our giving. But here's the kind of feeling it ought to be. Adrian Rogers, again, so quotable, don't give until it hurts. Have you ever heard that statement? Oh, give until it hurts. Now, here's what Adrian Rogers says Don't give until it hurts, give until it feels good. That was what was going on here. They urged us, they appealed to us. Give us a chance to give. And what was driving the church in Macedonia? Love, feeling, compassion for the saints in Jerusalem. Don't give till it hurts, give till it feels good. And that feeling is a love for God's people and his work in the gospel. For the time that remains, let's go to what I call the manner of grace giving. We're going to look at the how. We've looked at the why. Why should I give? And why should it be generous? And why should it be gracious? Because God's glory is bound up in it. The gospel of Jesus Christ prompts it. And love for the saints makes it necessary. But what about the manner then? How ought you to give? What way should you give? Well, there's several of those. I'm just going to do one. Grace giving is costly. You knew that was coming. Grace giving is costly. I mean, it's got to be coming because if the cross is the model, costly giving is the outcome. Because that's how God loved us. He spared not His own Son, delivered Him up for us all. For God so loved the world, He gave. So, Let's look at verses 1 to 4. Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded to the riches of their liberality. For we bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they give freely and liberally to the collection for the saints. Notice, out of their deep poverty... The Greek is, they're at the bottom of the barrel. Didn't have a lot to work with. Rock-bottom poverty. But it's down there in rock-bottom poverty, they rise up in joy and give liberally. So here we have Persians giving liberally, and today we have generous saints giving poorly. Something wrong with that. The glory of God has fallen among us. The gospel of Jesus Christ doesn't mean as much to us. And the love of God's saints is weak. Because if that's all there, you're going to give generously. They reach down deep and give liberally. Their politics and their lifestyle might have been conservative, but their giving was liberal. We need some more liberals in the church. Liberals like this. I want you to notice what Paul says. I bear them witness that they give according to their ability. Yes, and beyond their ability. Do you realize there's three levels of giving? Beneath your ability according to your ability and beyond your ability. Where are you at? Beneath our ability? Far less than what we have. Is it according to our ability? It's a good representation of how God has prospered us. Or is it above your ability? They were above their ability. I like what Randy Alcorn says about that in his book, Money, Possessions, and Eternity. A very, very good book, by the way. What does it mean to give beyond our ability? It means to give away not just the luxuries but some of the necessities. It means living with the faith of the poor widow. For most of us giving according to our means would really stretch us. Giving beyond our means would appear to break us but it won't because God is faithful. That's the point here. We ought to give generously. Remember that scene back in Exodus with the tabernacles being built? Moses Tells us, and the people continued to bring free will offerings morning after morning. The people were restrained from bringing more because what they had already had was more than enough to do all the work. I can tell you, there's very few pastors have ever lived to experience that. Any church that's lived to experience that, you know, we've got so much more. Don't give to us; give to somebody else, or you've whatever the case might be. Remember David the Old Testament, 2 Samuel 24, 24, where he wants to build an altar and worship God, he is given a piece of ground by a Jebusite, a threshing floor, for free. What would we say? Hey, David, don't look a gift horse in the mouth. But he says the guy, I can't take that, and he gives him 50 shackles, which is quite a bit. And here's why he does that. Here's what he says. I will surely buy it off you at a price. Neither will I offer burnt offerings unto the Lord my God of that which doth cost me nothing. David's saying, I've got to pay something for this because I understand that worship ought to be costly. I'm not going to build an altar on ground that costs me nothing because that means the offering costs me nothing. And I'm not doing it. And yet that's where we're at too often. Proverbs, right? 3, 9, honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of your labor. God deserves the first fruits, the best. He's the priority. But you know, and I know in my life at times, he hasn't got the best. He's got the leftovers. Michael Youssef tells a humorous story about a lady who calls the hotline at Butterball Turkey Company. And you know what? It said that they receive hundreds of calls from people every Thanksgiving to ask about how to thaw their turkey, prepare their turkey, roast their turkey. And one year, a woman calls and asks, you know what? She says, I've still got a turkey in my freezer. It's been there a good while. And I'm just kind of wondering if I can still use it. The person on the other end asks, how long have you had it? She says, 23 years. <laughs> that would be one tough bird. 23 years. The lady says, you know what? You could probably still cook it, believe it or not, even after two decades. But she says it's going to have a distinct freezer taste. And she said, I recommend you discard it and buy yourself a new turkey. And the lady says, you know, that's what I was thinking. Well, we'll just donate the old turkey to the church. (laughs) It's true, Bill. That's a true story. And we laugh and it's humorous. But, you know, the joke's on you and the joke's on me. I wonder what that old turkey looks like in my life where the Lord hasn't been given what he should have been given. I notice again, can't miss this point, their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. Don't miss that. What is it saying? Simple, but you'll want to run past it. Their economic hardship didn't stop them giving. And we hear this all the time from families that are stretched, or you've heard it, Well, I'd love to give more, but you know what? I can't afford it. The budget just won't allow that to happen. But it seems that those in Macedonia didn't allow their economic hardship to stop their giving because giving is not a matter of resources, it's a matter of heart. It's a matter of commitment and compassion. Giving is comparative they were poor, but Paul says they give generously. How does the poor give generously? Well, you can't be talking about a mind, because they don't have a lot to give the poor. But yet he says it was big. How can something that's small monetarily be big spiritually? Because giving is comparative. It's because when God measures our giving, he doesn't just look at the monetary amount you give. He looks at how much you had to give in the first place and how much you kept after you give. That's what strikes Paul about them. They were, remember the Greek, rock-bottom poor, and yet they gave liberally. They're down at the bottom of the barrel, but they gave liberally. And so you'd have to assume it couldn't have been a big amount, but it was big in terms of measuring in it as a grace gift. You know, Luke 21, the story of the widow's mite. Well, Luke 21, we read this. And Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the treasury. And he saw also a poor widow putting in two mites. You know, Hardly two pennies to rub together, but she gives them. And he said this, Truly I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all, for all these give out of their abundance. Stop. So Jesus is saying, if you just look at the gift, they give more. They give a thousand bucks. They give $10,000. She give a couple of quarters or a silver dollar. But well, hold on, Jesus says, They give out of their abundance, put their offerings before God. She gave out of her poverty. That sounds like the Macedonians, right? She gave out of her poverty, put in all the livelihood she had. But what she gave was all, which made it bigger. Think about that. Quantitatively, a gift may be big, like $100,000, $50,000, $10,000, $1,000. Quantitatively, a gift may be big, but quantitatively, A lesser gift of $50, $100, or $150 may be bigger when you understand the context out of which it was given, out of poverty, not out of riches. Giving is comparative. That's why I like what R.G. Letourneau says. Remember Letourneau built all these big earth-moving machines? Made a ton of money. Early in his career, he pledged to God that he would... If possible, give away 90% of his income and live on 10. And he did it for 33 years, no matter how rich he became. And he became rich. He gave 90% of it away. Because here's what he said in explaining what he did. It is not a question how much of my money I'm going to give to God. It is rather how much of God's money I'm going to keep for myself. That brings us to where we started What we have is His because what we have He gave. Therefore, what we have we ought to give as He directs us because it's His. And we ought to give for His praise. We ought to give in the light of the cross. We ought to give because we love God's people and we love the gospel. We love missions. We love the kingdom. And if we're going to give, a place to start is at the foot of the cross where you give sacrificially and costly. And remember that giving is comparative. It's not just what you give. It's out of what context did you give and what did you keep after you give. Let's pray. Lord, we do want to honor you with our possessions. We do want to reflect your glory in our giving. We do want to let the world know that grace is operative in our life, that we're rich in the things that money cannot buy and death cannot steal. Help us to realize this innate partnership we have with every single Christian we know. They're the family. And when one part of the family is hurting, we need to help. We need to get the family message out. We need to support the family house. We need to support the servants of God in that house. Help us to give generously. May our giving cost. Too much of our giving Sometimes mine included has been, it's still left as pretty comfortable. I'm not sure how many of us can talk about giving that's made us uncomfortable. Help us to get to that place. Help us to fight the materialism. C.S. Lewis reminded us that prosperity has a way of knitting a man's soul to the world. Help us to break free from that. Help us to live as true Christians. Help us to remember what the early apostles said, silver and gold. Have I none, but such as I have, I give you in the name of Jesus Christ. Rise up and walk. So we ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Giving is not a matter of capacity. It's a matter of generosity. You're listening to Know the Truth with Philip DeCourcy. Philip is continuing his series, Total Grace, with a message called Happy to Give. You can catch up on messages from last month when you go to ktt.org. You can also order messages on CD when you call 888-644-8811. Well, it's February 1st, the start of a new month, and we're introducing an exciting new resource by our teacher, Philip DeCourcy. It's a mini book titled, Help, I'm Anxious. But don't let the compact size fool you. This quality edition is packed with biblical insight and practical advice for overcoming anxiety and worry. Philip is passionate about this subject as he's seen too many friends and family members struggle with anxiety. So he wrote this power-packed resource to point believers to the victory available through Jesus Christ. Help, I'm Anxious is just coming off the presses now. So be one of the first to receive it when you make a donation of $25 or more to Know the Truth. Your generous gift will go right to preparing and distributing the bold and biblical messages you hear on Know the Truth. Reach out today online at ktt.org or give and request Help, I'm Anxious when you call 888-644-8811. And as always, if you prefer to send your donation by mail, write to Know the Truth, Post Office Box 30250, Anaheim Hills, California, 92809. And again, when you give $25 or more, be sure to ask for the book, Help, I'm Anxious. Maybe you're thinking of your own friend or family member who needs this encouragement. Request Philip's newest book online at ktt.org or call 888-644-8811. I'm your host, Wayne Shepherd. So glad you joined us today. There's more bold Bible teaching coming up next time when Philip offers the stirring conclusion to the series, Total Grace. That's Monday on Know the Truth with Philip DeCourcy. You give them a blank check to fill out any amount they want for annual maintenance and assessment fees. Sound crazy? The crazy thing is, this never ends. Even when you die, your family's now going to be stuck with this burden. Stop the insanity today. Call my office now. I guarantee if we can't cancel your timeshare contract, you'll pay nothing. Call for your free information kit, 800-290-7100. That's 800-290-7100. 800-290-7100. How many sales? Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to, he understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells.